I'm from Connecticut. I live in New York City. I'm an actor and um, I started pulling when I was 13. Well, it started with tweezing my eyebrows for just like shape, just because, you know, mm -hmm. like the thing you start to do in middle school when you realize that you're supposed to be self-conscious. Um, so I started <laughs> tweezing and it, it, it quickly turned into something else. And, and I eventually had no eyebrows. I didn't think anything of it as like a bigger thing. I thought it was just uh, me trying to get the perfect eyebrow. And then um, that summer, I guess this was the summer after my freshman year, uh, when I was 14 or 15, I went to, to a sleepaway camp uh, and shared a room and a bathroom with seven other girls. It was a nightmare, <laughs> but I had no privacy. So my eyebrows grew back and I was like, oh great, problem solved, everything's better. And that um, that year, my sophomore year in the fall, it moved to my scalp and it, it, the problem was not solved. And that was only the, the, the beginning. The eyebrows were just like a prologue to uh, mm -hmm. the, the, main, the main story, <laughs> which was my scalp, yeah. Mm -hmm. When did you find out that trick was trick? Like it had a whole, it had a name for it. It's in the DSM five. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. This was like so the when I was in the thick of it, it was like 2000, 1999, 2000. So it was still, you know, it was pre Google, and mm -hmm. um, the internet was not anything that had any useful information. Um, so I didn't know what it was until I was 16 or so. It, would, it was probably six or eight months into when I'd started on my scalp. So long after um, it had begun with my eyebrows. But uh, yeah, we found it in a magazine. I think it was like 17, maybe YM. <laughs> oh my God. Mm -hmm. Ooh, really sends me back. Um, yeah, there was just a little thing in the side panel a very tiny paragraph that mentioned what it was and the name and that and that's what allowed us to start finally doing research because we had a name to look up and we could start um finding doctors who didn't know what they were doing and uh trying medications and and all that stuff so it, finding out the name didn't help in terms of the resources initially it just helped with knowing that i wasn't alone um, and that there were other that that it had a name was was very comforting. It was brief, but it, it did comfort me for a little while. Yeah. Um, so when did your parents? I know you said you tweezed the eyebrows first and then moved to the scalp. Did you have that like moment with your parents? Like, hey, what are you doing? Why are things missing? And I don't remember, Barbara. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. A lot of that time is really fuzzy, if not completely gone. Um, I know that I worked downstairs in my like my desk was in the basement and that's where I would do my homework and uh I know that I was surrounded by piles of hair like I was doing real real damage I 
I know people can't see this, but I have I have very, very thick, very curly hair. It was extremely coarse, extremely frizzy, unmanageable, and it was long. And so it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it was obvious that um, it was everywhere. So I don't, I know I was casual enough about it that when it first started, I said to a friend that I was so, uh oh, you froze. Are you there? No. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know I was, I was casual about it in the beginning because I said to a friend of mine over the phone once that I, you know, I'm so stressed out that I'm I'm pulling my hair out. Like, what the heck? <laughs> Not mm -hmm. thinking that it was something serious or that it was going to snowball. Uh, so, and but I don't recall the very first time that it would, probably would have been my mom who would have asked, you know, what's what's going on. Uh, and then once we found out what it was, that's when um, we started actually. You know, go, you know, she took me to the doctors and she took me to a dermatologist and she took me to the psychiatrist. So uh, she was involved, but I don't recall the very first conversation. Mm. Uh, yeah, no problem. Very blurry. Yeah. And like for a lot of people, it's you're very young, too. You know, you don't have those like solid um, memories sometimes. But when you went to the doctors, you mentioned that. Um, they don't really know what they're doing with as far as trick way. And I totally have had similar experience of like a therapist asked me if I saw bugs crawling on the wall right then and there. And I'm like, I pull my hair out. Like I'm not having what? hallucinations. <laughs> like literally like what, what's happening? So what, um, tell me a little bit more about, about that experience. Have you, did you meet anyone that, um, you felt like, okay, they kind of have an understanding on what I'm doing or was it kind of like you're the educator the whole time? I felt, well, at the time, I didn't feel like an, an educator because I didn't I didn't know anything. You know, later in my 20s mm -hmm. when I was seeing therapists who continued to not know what they were doing, then I was educating. But at the beginning, I was so desperate for help and for information. And we listened to whatever they told us because we assumed that they knew uh, better, which it turns out they did not. I mean, at the time just as uh, for the same that there weren't resources for us, there also weren't that many resources for the doctors either. So they were just trying out medications with me, you know, looking back. And when I was doing research uh, for the play that I wrote, you know, when I asked my mom to pull up my records and I saw the dosages, the dosage levels that I was on, on like all kinds of meds. And I'm like, this is crazy. I was 16. You, you can't, pump a teenager with this kind of medication. Um, and the first therapist that I went to um, said that uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, was um, a huge mistake and the absolute wrong way to go. And whatever you do, don't do CBT. So we didn't look into that. We, we avoided it for years until we started doing, you know, until more research came out and we found more uh, resources that were telling us that CBT at the time was like the only thing that you could do. Uh, so you, we weren't exactly guided in the right direction. Uh, so I, I hopped around to a few psychiatrists and a few different therapists. Um, and my mom said there was one that I liked that I saw for a little bit, but I don't know. I don't recall her at all. So I don't know if I liked her all that much. <laughs> and then in college, you know, it was the same thing, just just people kind of like asking questions, but not the right kind or asking me to tell them what it was or mm. that they 
weren't, you know, they just weren't familiar. Um, and then I started finally seeing people who knew about it, but then it just ended up being that we weren't the right match. Uh, and, you know, they'd be all tough love, but I needed some of the validation or they'd be all validation, but they wouldn't ever push me. So it took a really long time to actually, to my current therapist who I've been with for four years, it's like I've been, I was waiting to, to meet Kate uh, because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, in the beginning, they just, they were steering us in all the wrong directions. And and like I said, pumping me with medications, which didn't help. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it wasn't great. It wasn't great. But I fully support therapy. That's the thing. Like I would always tell no, no, you got to go to therapy. I, yeah, I know I've had terrible experiences, but it, it's really helpful if you find the right mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. And I can relate so much because when my when I was like a junior in high school, I was the same thing, pumped with all these different things. Oh, take this to focus. Take this to keep you up. This one is going to keep you up too much. So now you have to take this to go to sleep. Uh -huh. Go to sleep. And I'm like taking like five in the morning, three at night. And I didn't notice a single change in my trick. And I'm like, I, what am I doing here? Like I kind of have similar experience. Like why? What? So I eventually weaned off of everything. But that's also a process because you're on such high, you know, dosages that you have to slowly get off. And I'm like, this is, I, I was excited to try. I thought, oh, maybe this would fix it. Absolutely. But I feel like if it would have, like, you know what I mean? It was just like a weird combo of a million things. I just could not, I could not get my head around it. But I felt the same of like, go to therapy though. It is good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> try these things. Yeah. Um, have you ever met anyone in your life like uh, that has had tricks? You know, maybe when you were growing up or as an adult, when you like shared about your trick? Well, like over the course of my, because now I've met a lot of people. Who oh, yes. I'm like, you know, within uh, in the community. Um, mm -hmm. When I was younger. Um, no, the when when I was a senior in college, a friend of mine ran up to me very excited uh, between classes. She had, was somebody that I had um, shared my secret with, you know, when we were freshmen. And she had found out that a mutual friend of ours also had trick. And she was so excited to tell me so that we could, she was like, I didn't say anything, but you know, now you can connect. And I didn't talk to that friend about it for two years. <laughs> I mean, this was, and I was what, 22. I was still so terrified to acknowledge or to, even bond with somebody who was going through the exact same thing. So that was the first time. And then um, I went to a uh, one of the, well, TLC Foundation for BFRBs. At the time, it was Trichotillomania Learning Center. Uh, I, so the first time I was really exposed to other people was going to my first conference when I was 24. Uh, and then I met, I went from have, knowing no one to knowing 300 people, uh, which was mm -hmm. extremely overwhelming and emotional and validating and all the things that, that come from an experience like that. And then over the years, the more people I talked to about it and the more people I told, the more responses that would, would be, oh, I have a friend who does that, or my sister does that, or I do that. And so mm -hmm. I, I it started to build up the the amount of people that I I knew. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm in the BFRB community and happy to know the folks at Habit Aware and things like that, uh, and having done the, the play that I mentioned and and working with 
or you know going to support groups now it's like you know we're everywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> we're just hiding in the shadows so, so people don't know it and we don't know that each other are there until we actually start talking about it so mm -hmm. so let's talk about trick the play oh. tell us how did we because you mentioned that when you were younger you casually said to a friend oh i put my hair and then knew someone but took a little bit to share how did you get to the point where you're like i'm gonna be on stage with strangers and i'm gonna share my story yeah you know barbara it took 20 years <laughs> to do that <laughs> longer it took uh 22 years for that process to happen because when i like casually told my friend it was a joke and it wasn't anything yet it was so early and then i never talked to that friend again about it it's not like i followed up with her and was like by the way you know that thing i mentioned it turned out to be um the bane of my existence uh you know <laughs> i um uh you know i told a couple friends in high school for real and um it i think it really scared them and and freaked them out and and not because they were freaked out by me but because they didn't know how to help me and I probably hadn't been faced with anything like that intense uh before or i don't know actually who knows what was going on in, in their home lives but uh i took it as they were you know terrified of me unfortunately mm -hmm. um so it wasn't until college that i slowly started to dip my toes into sharing with very very trusted friends one at a time and i i mentioned in the play that i i, I kept a list i really did have a, a list of the people that knew so that i knew like who out there actually knows my like who holds the keys to the castle and uh the but when i was a teenager and even just in the thick of it in the worst of it when i had uh had no hair uh i wanted to do a play um i wanted to write it and talk about the terrible therapists and i wanted to make people know that this was a thing and i thought it was important but i was completely incapable of doing anything about it then i mean like i said i had no hair and i was extremely depressed and highly medicated and trying to um graduate high school so it wasn't uh it, it was not ultimately the right time for it but over the years i would you know write a little monologue here or there or kind of do a little outline it was kind of just always in the back of my head but again not something that i had any kind of real interest in pursuing because i was going to get up on stage and talk about this i could barely talk to my mom about it so uh it was very very far from my reality but it just it just took time and practice and therapy good therapy and mm -hmm. um, just my own personal growth and um coming to terms with this part of my life until uh, a couple dear friends of mine who are artists proposed the idea of collaborating with me and helping get this story out of me onto paper. And then the world shut down. And so we spent the pandemic, the early lockdown on Zoom, working mm -hmm. on this play. And I, I, we had all this time. So all of a sudden, I was able to work on a script and and you know, pretty much vomited out until we'd uh, could start tightening it and fixing it and theatricalizing it. And then all of a sudden, I had a finished play that I then 
performed uh, last year in a festival <laughs> for hundreds of people, which is crazy. I mean, yeah. people would be like, no, that doesn't sound, that doesn't check out. I don't believe it. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's incredible to, to get up there and say something like you said, you wouldn't have even, you don't really talk about it with your, the closest people around you to go up there in front of strangers. Tell me, I mean, you might've, some people might have you know you might have blacked out before you got on stage you know because it's like nerves but how, tell me the experience of like okay here we go boom you're walking out we're starting how how did you feel it's the scariest thing i've ever done in my life um and then 10 seconds in you just i mean it's kind of the same even when i'm playing a character that's not me and in a show that's not about the most vulnerable part of my life i'm very nervous for the first 10 seconds until i remember that i know how to do this and this is my favorite thing to do uh, for this you know the very first time i did it in front of people was not uh for the public for strangers but i i had a closed reading uh last august for um, very close friends in my in the theater community and a, a handful of people that my collaborators knew that didn't know me because we thought it was important to have a, a few strangers there, the strangers yeah. to me. And I I was so nervous. I could I had I was completely dried up in my throat. You know, I was shaking and and uh absolutely terrified. But it was the most welcoming, supportive group of people that I could test this out with you know for feedback and to see how it was working because you know we we wanted to see how it played in front of an audience before actually bringing it out to to the public uh and it was so terrifying but so satisfying and rewarding and i was realizing that it, that it worked and that a lot had a lot of things needed to be changed but um and then once we started doing it for real, for real, like with me off book and, you know, not, you know, knowing the whole script and in a dark room in front of people that I didn't know, it was actually easier. It's easier to do for strangers than it is to do for my closest friends, which doesn't make much sense, but actually does, you know, it, being mm -hmm. able to just talk in front of people who've never met me before and trying to win them over uh, was, it, and it was incredible getting to share it because then people shared things with me um, because mm -hmm. I just put myself out there. People are people who I've never met come up to me after the show and tell me things about their lives because I've I've been you know intimate with them. Now they feel comfortable to be vulnerable with me, and it's it's a really beautiful experience for for me to get to. Uh, you know, uh, let other uh, to have other people want to share things with me is is uh, I'm very grateful. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have you know it, with your play you have the information of course. Like I think the first thing you're like, if you came to this play not knowing what this is, you know, raise your hand, you know, something like that. Um, and then you have the information, but you also have humor in it. You know, people are laughing and and they're they're able to like feel that sense of okay, I'm learning about something serious that really affected you, but we can kind of laugh at that too. Like how, how did you balance being serious and trying to find humor in it for like the audience? I mean, like many people, humor is my uh, coping mechanism, defense mechanism, whatever you want to call it. Like I will crack a joke before being 
um, vulnerable uh, any day of the week. That's the first, that's my go-to. So um, we decided to weave that in into the play. You know, I, I will do any whatever I can to avoid being vulnerable for as long as possible uh, in my life, in, in the roles that I play. So, um, uh, so for example, my collaborators, Casey Pfeiffer and Jen Haltman, um, when we were writing the, the show, they would give me writing prompts and I would, this is going to come back to your question, I promise. And they would, uh, uh, you know, I would have to work on that. I would have my homework for the week and then we'd review what I wrote at the end of the week. And it would be prompts like describe what it feels like to pull in as much detail as possible or describe a moment when you were caught by someone, uh, write a letter to your 15 year old self, you know, really easy. <laughs> uh, no, like terrifying things to write about. And I would uh, avoid them and I wouldn't do it. And then two weeks later, I'd be surprised to see that it was still on my list. They wouldn't take it off. It would just mean I would have to do it later. But what I wanted to do was make a PowerPoint presentation about trichotillomania uh, instead because it's so much easier to work on that than it is to dive into the depths of um, my soul. So we, when we realized that that's how I process things, we we decided, oh, this this PowerPoint presentation has to be a part of the show because it's the thing that whenever I do go to a place that's a little too dark or a little too vulnerable, I'm going to run from that because I, Becca, would run from that. So my character, Becca, even though it's basically me in the play, is also going to run and go back to the comfortable setting of facts and and visual aids. Uh, and it was the same with with humor. Anytime things got a little too a little too sad or a little too scary, uh, crack a joke to lighten the mood. Also, I didn't want anybody to come see an hour and 20 minute depressing play. No one's <laughs> going to have a good time there. And I want people to learn. I want people to have compassion and I want people to relate. Uh, so it needs to, as, as serious as, as it is, as the subject matter is, and as important as it is, um, the humor is absolutely necessary in order to uh, actually take all that in for me to share some of those stories that are upsetting to me and upsetting to the people I've shared them with. You know, I assumed you know, we, we need the lightness to, to balance it out. Um, and it, to answer your question, how we found that balance, mo that was actually one of the more natural things because, uh, because anytime I wanted to make a joke, we put it in. <laughs> anytime I felt like I needed a, until it was too, until we had to stop doing that and it was time to be as, as open as possible. Um, but yeah, the, the humor is, crucial it's how i live my life so it needed to be a huge part of the play and i'm glad that you found it funny otherwise i need to get back to work <laughs> no 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 like i said i i watched it and i was just like oh i'm messaging her like i have to i have to talk you know like because so so much of your story i felt like i related to and i was like you know it's just that like aha moment of being seen and like i feel understood by you because you went through the same thing and it's just one of the, the best reasons why having a bfrb community is important because you're like wait a minute i'm not what i what my negative thoughts tell me that i am mm -hmm. i'm just like you i'm just you know a regular person and i have fun and i also have this um yeah i also have this is exactly 
And the other important thing, as important as it is to share with the BFMB community where we don't have a lot of representation and it's so important for us to see ourselves on stage or on screen or, or whatever it is and not just be a punchline, uh, the, I was also extremely taken aback by how people in the non-BFRB community related just as much, maybe not on a, on a cellular level, as, as my uh, co-director said, uh, but the amount of people who have, don't pull their hair, don't pick their skin, that talked to me afterward, that told me about a completely different thing, or not even that that is that they were you know everyone relates to hiding everyone relates to shame and isolating sadly uh, that that's that's a universal thing and so um, getting getting uh, them to the 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 non BFRBers to be connected to our experience is also going to ideally help people with BFRBs to continue to speak up and talk about it because ultimately it's actually extremely universal even though it's not the literal thing that we're doing with our hands the grooming it's but some everybody's got something everybody's got a thing you know mm -hmm. oh yeah so when i was writing my book i noticed i would pull while i was writing it like i it was just like a natural thing when you were getting ready for the play and writing things down did you notice that your pulling either increased or decreased at the very beginning of the process, when we first kind of hunkered down to start this and we started with the prompts, it was like November 2019. I I was I was in in and out of my little bouts of uh being on the wagon of not pulling and but they weren't lasting very long. I kept I kept uh starting up again. And that the very early process of writing the play it it got dark <laughs> real fast for me and i was pulling at a level that um was it made me very uncomfortable and reminded me of being a teenager and uh it was scary and you know my friends and collaborators were, were always putting me before the play it was always like we care about your safety and how you're doing emotionally so like if we need to stop we stop and i started to wonder if this was a, a bad idea and it was my therapist who uh, brought up. She's like, "Well, listen, all, all we haven't done enough work on associating that time of your life with anything positive. You think back to being 16, and you don't think about the fact that you were singing all the time, or hanging out with your friends, or all the things that you were doing that were fun. You only associate that time with being the worst time of your life, and it's all negative." And you're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. You're going back to that time and you're writing about it and you're talking about it. And so no, it's it's no surprise that you're pulling because that's how you connect to your 16 year old self. Because to you, that's all your 16 year old mm. self was. So my new homework became thinking back to that time, talking to my family and finding like the good things or the the happy things from those time from those times so that I had like a new point of reference um and that helped immensely because it helped me kind of redefine because as as many folks do with bfrbs we might fall into the trap of thinking that that it's our identity and it's all that we are when it's just something that we do and that's what i thought i i was i was just i was a hair puller and that was it and i needed to expand my 
idea of who I was at that time so that I could connect with my younger self and write about really upsetting, <laughs> an upsetting period of my life. And that um, pushed me over the, the, that hump of how difficult it was initially until uh, later that year, actually, I was able to more confidently get back on the, the wagon. And um, I'm almost uh, three years um, of not pulling. So uh, the play ended up being extremely, uh, while being uh, at first very triggering, ultimately it was uh, healing mm -hmm. going through the, the process of, because it was the ultimate therapy. Not not necessarily performing it, but but the writing of it, the making of it, um, was mm -hmm. was was healing ultimately. Yeah. Wow. So tell me, being three years full free, that's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. you. Almost. So almost. Awesome. Not quite. But almost. I'm I'm already counting. <laughs> it I'm could change counting. any day. Um, any day. <laughs> yes. True. 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 But um. Yeah. So did you notice? Um. Did you consciously? kind of choose a different behavior it was just like the urges kind of you know settle down what what do you um how would you explain that the three almost three years of being pull free i mean gosh i don't know how to keep this answer short <laughs> I, I think about like in the past whenever i've been able to to stop um the only thing driving me was my day count um, so I stopped for three years when I was in my twenties. Um, actually the, the, when I went to my first conference, I stopped, I was like, mm -hmm. I'm going to see how long I can go. Uh, I started that weekend and it was like going through withdrawal. Like it was intense. And, um, and every time I wanted to pull, I would just, you know, get mad at myself and be like, no, 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 you can't we can't ruin, uh, you have 50 days, you have 60 days. Like that'd be such a shame. Leave it, leave it alone, leave it alone. Until all of a sudden I had, had three years, but that wasn't based on enough. Like that's not enough to um, uh, stop uh, as, as great it would be. I mean, maybe, maybe it is, but I think in the long term, uh, there was still a lot of work that I needed to do in terms of how I feel about my trick to really stop. Cause as when things, got hard or uh when i started slipping up i it, it just it snowballed very very quickly back into uh some of the worst pulling that i'd ever done so um this time around and, and you know i've stopped for a year i've stopped for a few months i've stopped for a few weeks and it always has it always has the same ending but it's not an ending it's just you try again and i think this time around because i talk about this in the play but what I had hadn't realized when I was younger was I was always very, very focused on fixing the the behavior. Um, and it was just about changing the behavior, but not really thinking about where it might be stemming from or the other things that are going on within me and like the reason I'm doing it to begin with, which might not be a concrete reason, but um, there are other things that need to be addressed. And the biggest of which is the shame that I felt around pulling. Uh, the shame that was so overwhelming. And so it, I would just drown in it. And that's ultimately, I was punishing myself every time I would go to pull. Um, and I didn't know how to take care of myself. I say in the, in the play, what is the line? 
but um, I didn't know how to self-soothe without self-harm because mm -hmm. it was ultimately, I was pulling to make myself feel good. I wanted to feel better, but that was the thing that was actually causing harm and creating the vicious cycle that we're all so familiar with. Uh, and I needed, it wasn't just as simple as finding a substitute of the right silly putty or the right thread with a knot at the end or gloves. You know, it was a, about uh, figuring out other ways to self-soothe because something was clearly uh, not happening that needed to be done to take care of myself. And because of the work that I was doing with my therapist and with my dear friends who helped get this play uh, up on its feet, there was more trust and less shame and more compassion for myself and for my younger self, especially, uh, that I think because of all of that work, it, be, it it wasn't just about the day count to stop. It was just that I wanted to take care of myself. And now, you know, I'd certainly be upset if I fell off the wagon. I would, I would be pretty <laughs> pissed. I, I don't deny it. But, um, <laughs> You know, it doesn't mean that all the work that I've done is discounted or that those days weren't there. It's just that, you know, you, you keep you just keep going. Um, and yeah, I think it, it was just a very it's a long process coming to coming to terms with all those things and changing how you feel about about yourself. And I, and I hope that kids these days or anybody these days who's. Uh, participating in these kinds of behaviors, I hope that there's a little less shame because there's such a wonderful access to all these people that are going through the same thing as you and that it, it doesn't have to, it's just a, it's just a thing. It's for the same reason that people do anything to take care of themselves. That's ultimately not good for them. Um, it's not something that we have to be ashamed of. It's just something that we, we need to address so that we're taking better care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I like make little TikToks and I made a TikTok and I like did a hashtag trichotillomania. And there's like some like 200 million views for the hashtag. And I was like, oh, you guys are so lucky. <laughs> like, I wish I had this like great community. I think my my only resource was like MTV True Life, you know, or <laughs> it's all dramatic and, you know, they're making like, you know, sounds to make the hair pulling even more. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I wish, you know, I'm so happy for, for the younger generation. Cause I'm just like, you guys see people with it. Yeah. I was inspired, you know? Absolutely. And not to say that they're having a necessarily an easier time. Um, but I, I do think the, the fact that there, if there's 200 million views on that hashtag, like it's just another reminder that so many more people do this than even the statistics show because they don't know that they do it. They like the there were multiple people who saw my play and learned afterward that they have trick or had trick and didn't know or have a BFRB and didn't know there was a name for it. You know, they just think it's something they do and they don't talk to people about it because they know somehow inherently that it's supposed to be something they're you know they they should feel shame about, which is incorrect. And if, if we realize that this is actually the one of the most common things uh, that a person, a human being, can do the shame will dissipate because what's there to be ashamed of if everybody does it, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So tell us how we can reach you. How can we see you? How can we um, get tickets to the play? I know we have for BFRB week. Is there another opportunity to see that again in the future? 
Maybe, I'm not sure. You know, we, we, so we did this run at the United Solo Festival last fall in New York City and won a couple awards and it was, it was fantastic. And we, we were able to film it. And yes, so for BFRB Awareness Week, we did a kind of limited, on, uh, limited time only streaming. Um, I'd, I'd like to do that again, but I also, what I really want to do is take the show to regional theaters and to schools and to ideally have a, a proper run, uh, performance run here in New York uh where people can can come see it in person or where i can you know do a professional recording that's on you know hbo max something like that uh you know i have really big dreams for the play so that we can uh maximize our access to uh, as many people as possible uh, but for the moment uh if you want to know when those things happen when they happen you can you can follow me on um instagram i'm at becca schneids B-E-C-C-A-S-C-H-N-E-I-D-S, or my website's beccaschneider.com, and our theater company, Between Two Burrows, uh, Between Two spelled out T-W-O, and Burrows, like the boroughs of New York City, uh, .com is where you can sign up for a mailing list of, for the play, and uh, you know subscribe or follow us on Instagram just for updates as, uh, because I need to start, I'm gonna start pitching it to, to places because I want to keep doing it forever really but uh and then yeah if if we do end up streaming it again um in the future that that's where you'll hear about it great so Becca it's been it's been wonderful talking with you thank you so much for you know meeting with me talking with me but also for all the work that you do for thanks for having community. me thanks to you thanks um is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to share before we wrap up Oh gosh, um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a loaded um, question. Sorry. Let's see. Is there anything? I don't know. I feel like I feel like I talked about the main. I, I guess. Oh, I would say because uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, how I stopped or like the actual. Um, steps or as if it's like a really simple you know well you do this and then you do this which is not um but i would mostly attribute it to uh telling people to talking about it and putting it out in the open so that you're not um living with it alone um, not that you asked me to give advice but that's that's something that i would um like to say because each time I told somebody it got a little less scary and a little less traumatic uh, until now where I can do a podcast about it. You know, it's really, I used to not speak its name. I didn't, it was like Voldemort. And I uh, couldn't talk about it without sobbing so hard that I couldn't breathe. Uh, and the only reason I'm able to do this with you today, Barbara, is because uh, of the practice of because of telling people because then every time I have fallen off the wagon in the past, I would continue to then not tell people that I'd fallen off the wagon. And then I would just once again, be back alone at home pulling in the bathroom because I wouldn't want anybody to know. So the more open we can be about, about this with people that we trust with people who are either going through the same thing or going through something different, uh, the better, uh we will feel and the hopefully the better we'll take care of ourselves because we'll be seen by somebody else i think that's uh really crucial and and not 
um, that it's not just uh, grabbing the, the fidget spinner, which I also have, you know, I have both. I've got my my toys with me right here as we chat. You know, it's both it's both things. It's all the things. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to say that as that too.